here in person or online, I want to welcome you. If you have your Bibles, turn to Exodus chapter 6. Exodus chapter 6. My name is Alex Velarde. I'm one of the pastors here at LifePoint. And whether you're just here in person or following us online, I want to welcome you, welcome you to our church. Um, man, I'm really pumped to uh, get into chapter 6 of Exodus. It's our third week in this study. Uh, we're not looking at the events. We're looking at the life of Moses. And there's a difference. We're uh, learning what the lessons that God taught Moses. Now, let me just say um, a couple of things as you're turning to Exodus chapter 6. Two things real quick. Um, number one, we are, for the next four weeks, we're going to be promoting life groups. Now, if you don't know what life groups are, if you want to find out a little bit more, you can sign up to, uh, to get more information, and we'll be more than glad if you go to lifepointfc.com, life groups. Um, we will talk to you. We'll give you a call and talk to you a little bit about them. For me, what life groups are, it's just a, a fun, um, relaxed uh, environment where you can meet with your family and you can grow as a family in the Word. So it's families coming together in the community and um, getting into God's Word. In short, it's, it's doing life together. And so today and for the next three weeks, you're going to see a lot of people wearing these gray t-shirts that say better together. So if you have a question about life groups, ask them. If you want to uh, sign up for one, you can go to our website and do that. And, um, and so that's, that's today and for the next, next few weeks. In the back, there's going to be maps and there's going to be brochures and all of that. The second thing I want to mention before we get into it, into our message, is starting point. So what is starting point? Starting point is just a one-hour session where Leah and I, my wife and I, will share with you the heartbeat of life point, what it is that keeps us up at night, what it is that makes us want to like, reach this community. And so it's a, it's a great way to ask questions if you want. And so if you, by any chance, if you may, like maybe you heard it in the last few weeks, maybe you got it in the newsletter and you forgot to sign up, it's okay, go to our website, lifepointfc.com, and then at the top, I don't know if you guys can put it, there you go, at the very top, there's a little link that says sign up for starting point, so that's literally right after this message, so it's okay if you pull out your phone, if you have not signed up, we just need to know how much food to get, and we have our volunteers doing that right now, and how, how much child, uh, how many, like if you need child care, okay, so starting point right after this service, is it'll, it'll be in our, um, in our youth room, and I would love to meet you, talk to you, get to hear your story, so life groups, next four weeks, by the way, um, usually in the summer, we, our, our life groups take a little bit of a break. Some of them continue to, to meet, but for, for the vast majority of them, we have about 10 of them, they actually start in September. September 12th is when all of us, that week, all of us start, um, and that's when we, it'll begin. So we have a few weeks to find out and to plan and all of that stuff. All right, so Exodus chapter 6, that's where we are going to be. In fact, I'm going to start in chapter 6. But we're going to go all the way to chapter 14, all right? So I hope you came prepared because we're covering a lot of material. Today is a little bit more teaching than preaching, and, um, and so hopefully you'll, you'll enjoy it. Let me set up, the sort of give you the context in case you missed one of like the last couple of weeks, okay? So Exodus 1 through 6, God's coming to Moses, and he says, I've heard the cries of my people, the Israelites, are under the, the, the bondage of the Egyptians. They're slaves. 
And God says, Moses, I want you to go and talk to Pharaoh. I want you to go and ask him to basically let my people go and, and so they can worship me. All right? So we get to chapter 6, and we begin to see God showing himself to God's people and to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians in a new way. All right? So here's chapter 6, verse 2. This is what God says. It says, And God said to Moses, I am Yahweh the Lord. Now, this word, Yahweh, is the most holy name for God in, found in all of Scripture. Uh, the Jewish people actually felt like this name for God was so holy and so sacred that they would not even say it out loud. They would not dare say this name, Yahweh, out loud because they felt like it was so sacred. When, um, when the scribes would, when they, when they would transcribe the Bible, because in that day and age, you know, you don't have a digital copy. There's no emails. There's no printing out the Bible. And so literally they wrote the Bible like by hand. They would copy. They would transcribe the Bible. When they, when the scribes would come to this place and they saw this name, Yahweh, they would literally drop everything and they would bathe because it was so holy. All right? In this passage alone, you have about five times the name Yahweh. And so these scribes are like, you know, like every other, every other sentence, they're taking, you know, they're, they're, they're taking a shower. And, um, and so I think that's, that's interesting. So watch what God says to Moses. So he says to Moses, I'm Yahweh the Lord, verse 3. Watch this. This is really interesting. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as El Shaddai. In other words, God Almighty. That's what El Shaddai means. Okay, that's another name for God. So I, when I showed myself to them, I was God the Almighty. But I did not, watch this, reveal my name, Yahweh, to them. So before this moment in history, they knew him as El Shaddai. They knew his power. They knew who God, what, that side of God. But now, beginning in chapter 6 and all the way until chapter 14, and this is really important that you get this, okay, because this is the, the basis to, to our conversation today, to our message today, when he says, but I did not reveal myself to them as Yahweh. That word reveal means intimate experiential knowledge in other words he's saying i showed myself to them but i did not let them have let them have the full intimate experience like they knew a side of me but there was a pretty big side of me that i they they did not know verse four he says i reaffirmed my covenant with them in other words he was going to give them the promised land so i talked to them i i promised them a better place and, and he says, under, under its terms, I promised to give them the land of Canaan where they were living as foreigners. In verse 5, and you can be sure that I have heard the groans of the people of Israel. I've heard him. I've heard him. Who are now slaves to Egypt. And they're slaves because they had disobeyed God. Disobedience attracts destruction. Picture it as a big, huge magnet. Disobedience attracts destruction. Destruction attracts oppression. Obedience is the opposite, but it also attracts. Obedience attracts blessing. When you obey the Lord, it attracts protection. The Israelites, God's people, for the longest time, they had looked to God, and God says, I want you to do certain things, and they had looked to God, and they'd gone their own way. And so they were slaves right now. And the Bible says they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. You know, so 
Um, you can be sure that I've heard the groans. Now they're like, uh, you know, after several years, they're like, okay, God, we're ready. We're ready to turn to you. And God says, verse 5, I am well aware of my covenant with them. I have not forgotten them, is what he's saying. And, then, and our God is gracious to us. Like whenever we mess up or whenever we screw up, like he will, he's there ready for us. And so they were ready. And so God is now sending Moses. And he says to them, watch this. Therefore, God speaking to Moses, therefore, say to the people of Israel, I am, and it's the same word, Yahweh, all right? I am the Lord. Tell them, tell them, I am the Lord. Verse 6, I will free you from your oppression. I will rescue you from your slavery in Egypt. I will redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. And that's, by the way, the ten plagues. We'll cover that this morning, okay? We'll do an overview of all the, the ten plagues. And so God is saying, I want to redeem you. I want to reveal myself. I want you to be my child. Now, for the longest time, you've turned away from me. You've said no, and you've put other things before me. But I'm ready. Like, I want to give you a new sense, a new meaning of who I am, a new description of who I am, a new side of who I am. And he says, verse 8, he says, I will claim you as my own people. That's, that's the heartbeat of God. And I'll be your God, and, I, and then you will, watch, watch this, then you will know again, he says it, that I am the Lord your God who has freed you from your oppression. Verse 8, I will bring you into the land that I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give you as your very own possession. I will give it to you as your very own possession and one more time for those in the back seats just in case you did not get it just in case you missed it let's all say it together i say it with me i am the lord as, as just in case you didn't get it i am yahweh defining god is probably one of the most difficult things that we can do as human beings and our minds are so small sometimes what we do is we try to put god in a box Religion does that at times. People do that to me sometimes. They'll, they'll try to pin me down, and they'll say, hey, what do you believe about this? What do we well, you know, here's what I believe, and here's what I, I'm studying, and here's what I'm searching, and here's where I'm growing, but I think our God, you, you know, theology puts God in a box, and sometimes we try to outline God, but I think you have to understand God is so much bigger than our little outlines. And so here's God trying to reveal himself to us. He says, I want, you, I want to show you who I am. And beginning in chapter 6, all the way into chapter 11, he begins that process of showing the Egyptians, of showing Pharaoh, Moses, of revealing himself to us. As, as big of a mystery as he is, he begins the process. Now, here's the thing. You can know about God, but you can also know God they're both important I'm not saying theology is not important I'm not saying that at all I'm saying that sometimes we focus so much on the one and we ignore the other and so I can tell you man I studied theology I love theology I, my, uh, Greek was my minor you know who does that right like that you got to be a little bit insane to have Greek as your minor right like I took like six years of Greek I've done seminary I've done Hebrew I've studied theology all of that stuff okay check 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 you know I have a lot of knowledge today I will teach you something 
I promise you, if you don't learn anything today from Scripture, come back. You'll, you'll get your money back, all right? So that, that's just a joke. But, you know, like, I, I will teach you something today. But there's a difference between knowing about God, knowledge, head knowledge, and knowing God in an intimate, personal way. And when God says, I'm going to reveal myself to you, what he's saying is in a personal way, in a practical, experiential, like, like I can tell you, I know a lot about God, but I can tell you stories about God. How God in my life has made a difference. Like, man, when I was in the dumps, when I was not doing well, when life was going down the drain, I can tell you story after story after story of how God came in and he rescued me, he strengthened me, how he provided grace, how he provided forgiveness. I can tell you one story after, after the next, and I can tell you, I know my Savior. And you cannot refute that. You cannot say, like, you, man, you can debate theology. You cannot refute, you cannot debate somebody's personal story. And so today, the title of the message is getting to know God, but that, that intimate, that authentic way. And so why the plagues? So why the plagues? You know, that seems like a cruel way to teach them who, to reveal his name to them, right? Um, against Pharaoh, against the Egyptians. I have a couple of thoughts. They're not the main points of the message, but I'm just going to share them with you, just, just food for thought. Like I said, today, a little bit more teaching than preaching. Number one, the plagues are a direct answer to Pharaoh's question. You know that? So Pharaoh asks him, so he receives a word, a command from uh, Moses receives a word from, from God says, hey, let my people go so they can worship me. Moses comes to Pharaoh and says, hey, I heard from Jehovah God, from, from Yahweh, and he's saying, let your people go because his people go because they want to worship. And here's, here's what Pharaoh said, Exodus 5, verse 2. He says, is that so? In, in other words, really? Like, uh, did I hear you? Like, your, your Jehovah God said, what? To let... The Israelites get really is that right? is that right? He says, and watch what's his way. He says, "Who is the Lord? Who, who is this Yahweh God?" Okay, you have to keep in mind the Egyptians had over two thousand gods. They worship all kinds of gods. They had a god for the sun and the moon, and they had a god for the Nile River. They had a frog god, and so like he's never heard this word before. You know, Yahweh, like, oh, this is, this is, you know, this is the Lord. Okay, who is he? And it's, there's a little bit, you can sense a little bit of arrogance. Pharaoh himself considered, he considered himself a god. And so he's like, okay, of the 2,000 gods that I know that, I've, that we worship, who is this? You know, why should I listen to him and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord. And I will not let Israel go. Now, here's what you have to understand. By the end of the message today, by the end of the, after the 10 plagues, Pharaoh will know God. He will know, like, intimately. He'll know the details. He will, it's not just like, oh, we've heard about, no, no. He will know. And it's that word reveal. He will, you'll see that. After the 10 plagues, Pharaoh won't be asking that question anymore. So that's number one. Pharaoh asks, who is, who is the Lord? And the second one is a demonstration of God's power. Why the ten plagues? God wanted to show his power. In Exodus 9, 16, he says, For this purpose I have raised you up, 
Pharaoh, I've raised you up. In other words, God, puts, God is the one that puts people in, in authority positions. And God says, for this purpose, I raised you up to show you my power so that my name, God says, may be proclaimed in all of the earth. And this is true today, right? I mean, thousands of years later, we're looking at scripture and we're looking at this story. And this, in a sense, has become true over and over and, uh, and it is a way where we get to see God's power. For, but God says it very clearly. I've raised you up so that I can show you my power, okay? All right, let me give you a quick overview of the 10 plagues. And, um, and then I'll have a point at the end that I want to kind of drive home. Number one, there were, uh, there were 10 plagues, okay? If you take the first nine and split them up, like you divide them into th- threes, okay? You have three groups of three, the first nine plagues. And for each one of those groups, those three groups... Um, just for the first nine the first two it would be like a warning and then every third the plague would come out of nowhere okay so it was like plague one um, Moses would come to to Pharaoh and said hey this is coming your way and if you let us go you're off the hook you're good but if not this is what's coming Pharaoh would refuse then the plague would come plague two Moses would come once again hey here's what's coming you know, if you let us go, you're, up, you're good. If not, and so, boom, Pharaoh would refuse, the plague would come. For the third, for every third, it would come out of nowhere. And it's important, and I'll, I'll, share, I'll share with you why in a little bit, okay? So every third, it's like warning, warning, boom, out of nowhere, no, no, um, like no warning, like, the, you know, it came out of nowhere. All right, there are three tactics that Pharaoh is going to use that our enemy uses in our lives. The first one is contempt. I don't know the Lord. What is this? Who is? I've never heard his name. I don't know. And there's a little bit of pride of that. Like, I don't have time for this. Like, I don't, I don't know who the Lord is. Very arrogant. Like, a, you know, it's like when that, that feeling that, that a person or a thing is beneath your considerations. I don't have time for the Lord. And you'll see that over and over with Pharaoh. The second tactic that he uses is counterfeits. So Pharaoh employs some magicians. And believe it or not, for the first three plagues, these magicians somehow can can fake it enough to where people are beginning to think, oh my goodness, Pharaoh's magicians are doing the same thing that the Lord is doing. You know, is he really the true God? Now, when you, when you look at it after the third plague, the magicians go like, we can't keep up. We, we you know, first two, somehow there were counterfeits, somehow they were able to fake it, uh, but they don't go the distance. And that only goes to say, counterfeits, shortcuts in life, don't go they're not sustainable they don't get you anywhere you can you may be able to fake it christianity you may be able to fake it a little bit here and there but long term the truth always comes out okay so pharaoh uses contempt one of his tactics counterfeits and the last is compromise so when you read the whole 10 plagues four times Pharaoh tries to compromise. He's trying to like deal with God and trying to kind of negotiate with God. The first compromise, you know, the command was let my people go so they can worship. And Pharaoh says the first compromise is okay, 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 okay. Go ahead and worship, but stay in the land. Don't don't leave. And God's like, nope. Second compromise, Pharaoh comes to Moses, to God, and he says, okay, 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 you can go. Go into the wilderness. I'll let you go, but don't go very far. You know, and he's he's you know, trying to basically, I'm going to put you in a very short leash. I'm not going to let you go. So you do that to animals, right? Like we have a dog. We go out in the neighborhood. So we have one of those retractable leash, right? Like you put them on it like five, ten feet, and then eventually, 
you know, it chokes him, and you know, he can't go any further than that. That's what Pharaoh was trying to do. I'll let you go, but you can go, but not, don't go too far. The third compromise, he's like, okay, you can go, but leave your families behind. That's what the enemy always tries to do. Destroy the family. He knows. If I can destroy the family, if I can separate the family, I'll, I'll, I'll get my way into this. And so you can go. Go worship your, your God, you know, but, but just leave your families behind. And once again, God is like, nope, nope, nope. The fourth compromise is, okay, go, but leave your possessions behind. Your cattle, your livestock. And once again, God says, I'm not going to compromise on my character. Three lessons, okay? These are, if you want to write them down, you're welcome to. Three things. They're going to come up, like when you read the scripture, when you read all the verses, they're going to jump at you. Here's the first one I wrote down. When God blesses, he does not hold back. And when God judges, he does not hold back. Now, you'll see that with all 10 plagues. You're like, whoa, this is, by the way, each one of the plagues was an attack on each one of, on what, like the gods that is, the Egypts, the Egyptians were worshiping. So each one of the plagues was a direct, and I'll show you, I'll show you this in a minute. It was a direct attack to each one of their gods that they were worshiping. So let, let's get into it. All right, the first one is the water, he turns water into, into blood. That's the first plague. So they go to the Nile River, turn the, the water from the Nile River into blood, okay? The Nile River was considered like one of the most powerful gods that they had. Why? Well, uh, 96% of the population of, of uh, Egypt, they live on 4% of the land. So 96% of the people only lived on 4%, and the 4% was along the banks of the Nile, so the, the Nile, you know, they, it was a source of food. They would, you know, the uh, fish, you know, they pull fish out of it. Um, it was a source of, like, drinking water. Um, they, uh, they used it to bathe. Remember, like, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how when Moses, when uh, Moses' mom was putting Moses on the little basket, we saw Pharaoh's daughter was coming to the Nile to, to bathe. They used that as, as that. And so for them, for the Egyptians, the Nile was, like, everything, it is their biggest, most important God, and God goes after that. And so the first plague, he goes after it. Plague number two, infestation of frogs. So that's chapter 8, verse 6. It says, the frogs came up and covered the entire land of Egypt. Now, think about that for a moment. Frogs everywhere. Imagine if there were frogs, like you came into this place, there's frogs everywhere. How many of you would like that? Like you sit down, and it's like there's a little frog there. You know, how many of you love that? It's like, yeah, listen, you know. Pull, pull back your bed sheets and there on your bed. Frogs everywhere. You know, you pull back the shower curtain. And there's frogs everywhere. It covered the entire land. Now, keep in mind that the Egyptians were running low on food. And I've always thought, well, why didn't they make frog legs? I mean, you guys have frog legs before? You know, I've personally never had any frog legs. Have any of you guys had frog legs? Okay, well, wow, okay. Way more than in the first service. Never had frog legs, but I thought, you know, kind of like the old saying, when, when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. When life gives you frogs, make frog legs or something. <laughs> Cheesy joke. Um, but here's, here's what I want you to understand. Frogs were considered sacred. They were considered to be associated with the God of life and fertility. So they dare not touch the frogs because they were important. They were gods to them. 
that third plague unannounced okay so the first two Moses communicates the third he doesn't it's the invasion of gnats chapter 8 verse 17 now some translations your Bible may say the word lice um, this was not lice this was in the Hebrew the actual word was little tiny almost invisible stinging gnats and they have the ability to crawl up your nostril get into your ear I mean they get everywhere okay it was, it was after this plague that the magicians come to Pharaoh and they're like we can't keep up the first two like water from the Nile turned into blood somehow they fooled the people and it turned water into blood I don't know how they did it you know I don't know if they took blood from animals and they faked it, it maybe it was a lie I don't know the frogs they were able to do that it was a counterfeit but they were able to do it by the third plague the magicians that were being paid by Pharaoh come to him and they're saying like we can't keep up in fact this is what they said let's put it up on the screen verse 18 the magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats but they could not it says it says um, so they were gnats on man and beast then verse 19 the magician said to Pharaoh this is what the finger of God and I find it interesting that God is using the magicians to tell Pharaoh who he is this is the same finger of God that we see in the Ten Commandments and so the magicians are like this is gotta be God there's no other like there's no power like this God and it's only by the third plague this is the finger of God but Pharaoh's heart it says was hardened and he would not listen to them and so God is using even the magicians to reveal himself now keep this in mind just a little parenthesis um, God had put all of the Hebrew people all of the Israelites God's people he had put them on this like sort of a subdivision called Goshen and it was in this place he put sort of like a, an invisible shield a barrier and as long as the Hebrew people God's people were in Goshen none of the plagues affected him in fact you, what you're going to see is that the plagues become greater and greater in intensity and so as these plagues are getting greater and greater in intensity you have to understand these plagues were not affecting the Hebrew people okay? because they were in this place called Goshen alright plague 4 infestation of flies flies Exodus 8 21 so there's flies all over the place but we're not talking about the flies that you see when you know like when you're out and about you're having a picnic and there's food on the table and then the, there's flies all over we're not talking about those in the Hebrew the actual word here means a mixture of many insects a mixture of many insects so perhaps mosquitoes bees wasps in fact, in Psalm, Psalm 78, verse 45, you want that reference, a good one. Psalm 78, verse 45, God says, I, he, God says, he, the Bible says, he sent among them swarms of flies which devoured them. That word devoured actually means to eat up. So essentially you have swarms, like you have insects of all kinds of, of types and they're literally, like not just they're not like irritating them like a fly, right? They're literally biting the people. They're eating little pieces of their skin. Their skin. So this is not just, oh, they're just flies. Fifth plague, disease upon the livestock. Now, this is interesting. By the fifth plague, Moses is coming to Pharaoh, and he's actually saying, like he's giving him time frames. And he's saying, 
tomorrow morning, at such and such a time, this is the next plague, you know, and it's going to affect the livestock. And just in case you think the last four have, has been like coincidence, just in case, I want you to know for this one right here, it's not going to affect the Hebrew people. Their livestock, they're going to be fine. And what you're going to see is that your livestock, tomorrow, at, in the morning, at this time, the plague is going to hit. And yet, even though he had specific time and specific consequences, once again, I think it was like 10 times altogether, right? Like, like, like God would come in some sort of way and say, look, this is what's going to happen. This is gonna... And Moses refused to allow them to go. He hardened his heart 10 times I believe, if I'm not mistaken, he was so stubborn, he was prideful, he was arrogant. Here's the second lesson for us and for Moses. I wrote this down. Warnings which are repeated but not taken care of are followed by swift judgment. Let me explain. Warnings which are repeated but not taken care of are followed by swift judgment. What do I mean by that? What you see is that there's, a, there's sort of a cycle or a pattern. First, Plague, warning. Hey, this is what's coming. Second plague, warning. Third, boom, out of nowhere. Fourth plague, hey, it's coming. Fifth, it's coming. Sixth, boom, no, out of nowhere. And for like time and time again, God is saying, here's a warning. Here's a, no, a warning. And you, you don't pay attention. Eventually, God, judgment comes your way. And, and I, I'm trying to wait. I'm trying to say this in a loving, sensitive way. But in your life, if you're a believer, and you're constantly saying no to God. And he's saying, hey, you need to do this. You need to do this for this person. You need to say this. You need to speak up. You need to move in this direction. You need to have faith in this, in this way. And you're constantly saying, oh, no. And you're kind of looking the wrong way. And God's saying, I want you to be pure. I want you to do this. I want you to honor me in this way. And you're like, no, 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 no. Eventually, eventually, God's mercy runs out. And he says, you know what? Enough is enough. And what you see in Scripture, not just in here, but all over, is that God comes in and there is judgment. And he's like, hey, I love you way too much to let you be and to, to at your own demise. This thing is going to destroy you, so I'm going to come and I'm going to, and it's what's called discipline. I'm going to discipline you. And so warnings which are repeated but are not taken care of, we keep ignoring God, they're followed by swift judgment. And this is what you see. Sixth plague comes without any warning. All of a sudden, the Egyptians are waking up, and they have this, there's an outbreak of boils. And it's interesting, not just one boil, but boils, plural, okay? Job, in the Old Testament, went through this. He had, you know, boils. Can you imagine having boils in your body? I mean, that just, to me, I can't fathom. Now, if you have boils, raise your hand if you have boils today. <laughs> uh, but if you have boils, the last thing that you want it's for something to press against you. And so in light of that, imagine body full of boils and the next plague is heavy hail mingled with fire. And you have this huge rocks essentially of hail falling down, lightning is striking them, they're setting them on fire. You have fireballs all over. They're, they're you know, dropping on their homes, their cattle, their crops, their trees. They're devastating everything. And they're, they're dealing with the boils on their body, you know? I don't know about you, but if you don't, like, if you don't say, if you don't react in a, in a positive way to the Lord, uh, man, there's just no hope. But what you see time and time again is how long-suffering God is, how patient, how patient He is with us. And so, 
plague A, swarms of locusts. So if, if there was any kind of vegetation left, you know, now the locust is going to eat it up. Plague 9, intense darkness. Again, ninth plague, no warning. So three days of complete and utter darkness. And um, there, uh, only, I think it was only one time I've been to Leah when, when we were dating. She took me to this place, Mammoth Cave in Kentucky. And we went down these caves, biggest caves, cave system. I think they're like 400 miles worth of cave systems. And I remember the tour guide took us down into the cave, and we went to this place, I mean, several hundred feet down into them. It was really cold. And I remember that the tour guide said, you know, he was showing at the rocks, and there was water, and it was sort of like a sanctuary, you know, like huge space. And we're, we're all there, and the tour guide says, um, basically, he gives, gives us a little bit of a warning. He says, hey, listen, in a few minutes, I'm, and I'll let you know when, I'm going to turn the lights off. And he says, I want you to feel the intensity of the darkness. And, and I remember it was, it was interesting that he used the word feel. I want you to feel darkness. And sure enough, he said, you ready? Everybody ready? You know? And he turned the lights off. And I remember down in that cave... I mean, I could not see. I mean, the lights went out. I could not see a thing. I put my hand in front of my face. I could feel my breath, but I could not see my hand. Imagine for three days with no warning out of nowhere, all of a sudden, no, no lighting from, from the moon, from the stars. All of a sudden, there's no light, no way to make a fire, nowhere. Imagine the utter desperation. All of a sudden, total darkness. And here's the third lesson is where, where I'm going to kind of wrap things up. When, the, when we reject the brightest light, we're only left with the deepest darkness. When we reject the brightest light, when we reject the Son of God in our lives, we're only left with the deepest darkness. The tenth plague is the death of the firstborn. I'm not going to cover that, but um, maybe at a different time. But let me review real quick. I'm going to ask our band to get on stage. Real quick, three lessons for you and for me. First one is, when God blesses, he does not hold back. When God judges, he does not hold back. Bible is very clear. When we die, we will be judged. Bible is very clear. Evil will be judged. Um, Hebrews 9, 27, it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. And I know that's not like the most inspiring message that you want to hear, but I'm actually glad that, I mean, there's a lot of evil in our world today. I mean, some of the things, you just turn on the TV, some of the stuff that's going on across the world, uh, some of the things that, that Christians are, you know, that are happening, you know, and how they're, sometimes they're beheaded, beheaded for the cause of Christ. I mean, who would do that? And so I'm actually glad that, that we serve a God who's just, who will punish evil, and who will not let things go forever. So number one, when God blesses, man, he doesn't hold back. When God judges, he doesn't hold back. Number two, warnings which are repeated but not taken care of are followed by swift judgment. Number three, when we reject the brightest light, we're only left with the deepest darkness. All right, so I'll close by saying this. You, um, I want us to fast forward all the way to Exodus 14. So Pharaoh goes, I'm done. I like, I cannot fight this God, Yahweh God. Like, this is, you know, you're bigger than me. 
He lets them go. In fact, he sends them out with food and livestock and all of this stuff. The, the, the Hebrew people, they go out. They're crossing the desert, okay? Big party, man. This is awesome. We win victorious. Remember the story? Pharaoh has a change of heart once again. And he comes after them. He grabs his army. And he's like, man, I'm not. And what did I do? And he goes after them. He goes after the Hebrew people. And God has another word for Moses. And it's this. Then the Lord gave these instructions to Moses. Exodus 14, verse 1. Order the Israelites to turn back and camp by by Hehiroth, what a word, <laughs> between Migdol and the sea, camp there along the shore across from Baal-Zephon. Then Pharaoh will think, watch this, is God speaking to Moses, then go over there into this location, then Pharaoh will think, the Israelites are confused, they're trapped in the wilderness. Now you have to understand, Moses was part of the 1% of Egyptians to learn to read and write. He was also trained in military, like they taught him how to, like, to strategy and all of those things. And so God says to Moses, hey, I want you to position the, the people between the Red Sea and the Egyptians. And Moses, as a, he was raised an Egyptian, understands this is a death sentence, God. What are you doing? Why are you putting us in this place between the Red Sea and the Egyptians? And God says this. God says, I have planned this in order to display my glory through Pharaoh and his whole army. Watch this. Don't miss it. Okay, we're going to go back to the beginning. After this, watch this, the Egyptians will know. Same word as the word reveal earlier on. Intimate experiential knowledge they will know it won't be stories oh we know about the God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob no 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 they will know they will know like you can like you'll be able to like they'll experience me that I am and in the Hebrew is the same word Yahweh they will know that I am Yahweh if you know the story God opens up the Red Sea they walk through it the Egyptians are not giving up. They're coming after them, and God releases the water. And I was talking to my mother-in-law yesterday. She said that she read an article where recently, within the last couple of years, they've actually found chariots in the Red Sea, in this location. So I say all of that to say this. We're not just talking about Moses. We're talking about you. And here's the question that I want to ask you. Do you know about God, or do you know God? Because hopefully you learned a couple of things today, but my goal is not to get you to know about him. My heart and his heart is that you know him intimately, that you can leave this place and regardless of the junk that you deal with in life, you can say, I know who my God is. I know I've experienced him. I can tell you story after story after story of how he has come through for me. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, do you know about God or do you have an intimate experience of who he is?
all of the Bible, throughout all of history, he's wanted to reveal himself to us. He's still mysterious in many ways. I couldn't fully describe him to you. But I can boil it down to this. He loves you. He is for you. He died for you. Like this whole event with the Egyptians, like he's doing everything that he can to reveal his power. You have 2,000 gods. Let me show you my power in case you're missing it. I am Yahweh. I can come in and change your life for the good, for the better. And so God, thank you so much that when you bless us, Lord, you don't hold back, and that's a promise of heaven. No tears, no stress, no sickness, perfect place. You don't hold back. But God, thank you that we have stories like this, and when you judge God, you don't hold back either because you're a just and a holy God. And God, the reminder, the reminder, warnings are repeated. When they're repeated time and time again and we don't take care of them, God, they, they just follow by swift judgment. God, may we stay, may we keep short accounts. May we, may we readjust. May we repent when we know. You don't need the, a preacher. You don't need a priest. You know the Holy Spirit speaks to you. And so God, may we, may we get back on track whenever we get off, whether it's talking to our spouses the wrong way, whether it's not offering, not putting you first in, in our tithing, whether it's our schedules, whether it's serving you, whether it's how we deal with work, whether it's just being just poor, Jesus followers. God, wherever it is that you're pressing in, God, would you allow us, God, to just readjust Father, thank you that when that we see the example that when we reject the brightest of lights, we're only left with the deepest of darkness. God, may that encourage us to follow you and to love you and to be on fire for you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand.